in uh, Luke, the 14th chapter, verse 25, we read that large crowds are following Jesus. Now, you would think that would be a good thing, but Jesus wasn't really impressed with the large crowds. He knew that at best, their motives were mixed. They were coming because they were getting free food. Uh, they were coming because they wanted to see miracles. They were coming because he was turning water into wine. And so Jesus makes a statement that made the disciples, no doubt, as nervous as a group of consultants for Donald Trump. <clears throat> because Jesus wasn't interested in quantity, he was interested in quality, and he actually wanted to thin out the crowds. If you have your Bible with you, I invite you to turn with me to uh, Luke, the 14th chapter, beginning in verse 26. If not, you'll find that same verse listed on the back of your worship guide. Jesus said these words, he says, if anyone comes to me and does not hate his own father and mother and wife and children and brothers and sisters, yes, even his own life, he cannot be my disciples. So the question then today is, does following Jesus mean that you have to hate your Mimi and Pawpaw, your granny or your grumps, your Meemaw or your Pops? What do you do with this hard saying? And it is a hard saying for a lot of reasons. One, it's obviously it touches close to us when it talks about our family relationships, but it also seems to contradict so much else that's talked about in terms of family relationships in the Bible, like the passage in Ephesians, the fifth chapter, verse 25, that says, husbands love your wives, just as Christ also loved the church. Or 1 Timothy 5.8 where it says, But if anyone does not provide for his own, and especially those of his household, he has denied the faith, and he's worse than an unbeliever. Or again, back in Ephesians, the 6th chapter, verse 2, Honor your father and mother, which is the first commandment, with a promise. And even the very words of Jesus Christ, who said that we were to love our neighbors as ourselves, And you remember that he expanded the common definition of that day of neighbor to include even your enemies. But certainly Jesus, who expanded the definition of neighbors to include enemies, would not restrict our family from the definition of neighbors. But that's what he says. He basically says, if you want to follow me, you must hate your family. Now, there are some who've tried to deal with this passage to say, well, Jesus was only really talking about that select few on that particular day who would leave their families and be his immediate 12. But the immediate 12 have already been called. And when you look in verse 25, it says there was a large crowd there and Jesus spoke to the crowd. It does not say he spoke to a subgroup of the crowd. It says that he spoke to the crowd. And there in verse 26, as you read a moment ago, it says, he said, if anyone, anyone seems to be fairly inclusive. And so we have a hard saying here. The message is clearly meant for all. Now let me just go ahead and just state the obvious. And that is that, Obviously, Jesus is using a hyperbole to make a point. But the point he's making is no less radical. Don't miss that. He did want to shock us. He did want to get our attention because there was something they were not doing. And he was asking this question, really. He's saying, are you willing to follow me no matter the cost? The New English or the New uh, Living Translation translate the verse that we just read if you want to be my disciple you must hate by comparison everyone else 
your father, your mother, your wife, your children, your brothers and sisters. The contemporary English version of that same verse says you have to love me more. But don't allow those other translations of what he said. Don't allow the fact that he was using a hyperbole to take away from the radical nature of the saying. Because what Jesus was trying to do for all of us is he was trying to save us from sticker shock. I remember years ago when I came home from uh, college and it was Mother's Day and I wanted to get my mom something and so I went to North Park Mall and I remember I went into Neiman Marcus because remember my mom used to go in there from time to time to buy a perfume that they would only sell there and so I just went through and I thought well what could I get for my mom and I saw a scarf that was there and I grabbed the scarf didn't look at the price tag and I went to the register and I laid it down and the lady called out the price and I thought I could pay for two semesters of college with what the scarf costs. And of course, I had to pick it up and say, excuse me, sticker shock. And Jesus knows that all these people who are jumping on the bandwagon at this point in his ministry at some point are going to have sticker shock because it costs to follow the Lord. And if it doesn't cost you to follow the Lord, you're probably just a part of the crowd. You're not really following the Lord. The reality was in the culture into which he spoke, there were people that were listening that day that to later choose to follow Christ would mean that they would be pushed out of their own family. And that to choose to follow Christ was actually choosing to hate their family because of the results that would come. In fact, that's still true today in many parts of the world. We have partners uh, in Egypt and they talk about stories with real people's names they ask for prayer for those who have not only been pushed out of their family but their families have threatened to kill them it's true even in the United States today in certain situations it certainly was true for a young lady by the name of Miriam who's a part of our church who several years ago decided to follow Christ a girl who attends one of our campuses in Corpus Christi I grew up Muslim uh, for 20 years. I was Muslim. I hated Christianity because of that. I didn't want anything to do with it. So I came to college, joined a sorority to try to get some friends because I didn't have many of them. Um, I wasn't allowed to have Christian friends or friends that weren't of the Islamic religion. And so I joined a sorority behind my dad's back. And the president of the sorority, she was a senior when I was going in as a freshman. That was when Sarah bought me my first Bible. She, she gave it to me. I, I studied it. I highlighted it front and back, reading Matthew for the first time. That was, that was amazing. So this is a three-year process that it took for me to actually you know, make my decision. But it was points of highs and lows. I, I was happy of going, going to church and just being happy and meeting all these people, yet I would go home to that walking into a Muslim household and pretending I was a Muslim, even though I knew that's not what I wanted to be. Um, and near the end of that, my dad finally found out, my family finally found out that I was going to church and, and he lost it. He, he threatened me with my life. He, he cut me off completely. He kicked me out and I, I had no idea what to do. I, I was stuck. My, my best friend Sarah was moving back to Dallas um, to go to grad school and I was stuck here in Corpus. I had nowhere to go, nowhere to live and I, I was just, I was stuck. And, and still, that, that was back in May of 2014 and um, in 
So I gave my life to Christ in May, knowing the, the risks and, and the cost of losing my family, of losing everything that I had, of having a couple backpacks and a couple boxes that would all fit in my tiny car. That's all I had left. And I knew, I knew that would happen, but I knew giving my life to Christ was completely worth it. Because when I died, I'm not going to leave with my stuff. I don't, I don't need my stuff, so what I have is sufficient and good enough for me. So in May, when I gave my life to Christ, I was, I was too scared to stop covering my head. I, I didn't want to give my life to Christ, stop covering my head, change my life completely, because that was my identity. Me covering my head with my hijab, that was my identity for the past 10 years. No man has ever seen my hair since, since I was 12 years old. I didn't want to portray a false image of me. So I decided that when I had my baptism in June, that before I got baptized, I would take off my head covering in front of the people that were there for me through it all. The, my church friends, my church family that have seen me the past three years and not once asked me, well, why are you covering your head? I wanted them to be the people that saw my hair first because of how symbolic it was to me and how much it meant to me. It's still very hard um, knowing that my family lives here in Corpus and I could run into them in any moment, but knowing that I have Jesus is all the comfort that I need. My name is Miriam Ghanem, and this is a story of how Jesus changed my life. If you follow Jesus, it could cost you some relationships. Some of you know what it's like to follow Jesus and to lose a boyfriend or a girlfriend, to lose a husband or to lose a wife because you're no longer going down the same road. Uh, last week when I was at uh, Trek, I spoke to the kids' uh, middle school camp. Middle school camp has always meant a lot to me because it was in middle school that I got very serious about my own faith. It was after my eighth grade year before I went into the ninth grade. And I'd been a Christian for several years, but for the very first time in my life, I really decided I was going to get serious about it. And, and I realized that that had some consequences. I realized that there would be some people who wouldn't want to be around me. There would be some friends that I would lose. And one of the things that I said to the, uh, the seventh and eighth graders that were there, I said, you know, if, if you decide to go back and really truly follow Christ, it means that you will have some friendships that you have had ever since grade school, guys or gals that you've hung out with, and they're now making some choices, some wrong choices to go in some directions, and they're going down some paths and you can no longer be close to them if they're going to go down those paths if you're going to follow the path of Christ. And that's a scary thing when you're in middle school. To, to have friends and all of a sudden to look up and not to have friends because you've decided to be closer to Christ. And that's a reality for a lot of folks. And that's why Jesus spoke very plainly and very harshly about this. Jesus knew that relationships are more important than anything else. And he wanted to say, friends, it may cost you some of your relationships. Are you willing to pay that price? In Luke, the 14th chapter, in verse 28, a little bit later on, that same chapter, it says, for which one of you, when he wants to build a tower, does not first sit down and calculate the cost to see if he has enough to complete it? Basically, Jesus is saying, is there anyone or anything that means more to you than me? If so, don't start down this path because you're not going to be able to finish it. Count the cost. 
And it extends, of course, far beyond this family dynamic. Some of you have checked out right now because you're thinking, well, this message is for someone else because I grew up in a Christian home. My mom and dad wanted me to follow Christ. I get support from my family and even extended family for following Christ. But the question is, are you willing to make Christ first above all? Uh, above your career, above your money or what your money can provide for you, above your dreams and your aspirations, any pursuit in life. In other words, count the cost because it's, it's beyond family. It's about lordship. It's about a unique relationship that you have with Jesus that you don't have with anybody or anything else. Now, one of the metaphors that's used in the Bible on a regular basis to talk about our relationship with the Lord is the metaphor of marriage. Now, every metaphor breaks down at some point. But the marriage metaphor goes a long way to describe the relationship that we're to have with Christ. When you decide to get married, of all the people in the world, you choose one, just one. And you decide to have a unique relationship with that person that you're not going to have with anyone else to love them more deeply, to be more intimate with them, to make a deeper commitment for life with them that you're not making with anyone else. And that's why the scripture uses this because of the unique nature of marriage. There is also a unique nature of lordship where we enter into a relationship with Christ where we're depending upon Christ and Christ alone to be our savior. We're not counting on our good deeds. We're not counting on our church membership. We're not counting on our, our theological beliefs. But we're depending upon what Jesus Christ uniquely did on the cross and that alone to get us to heaven. But more than that, we're also entering into a unique relationship where he is not only our only Savior, but he is also our only Lord. And we look for him, to him for comfort. We look to him for strength. We look to him for authority over our lives. And every other authority, every other feeling, every other thought, every other philosopher, every other counselor is judged by what Jesus says is right or wrong. And it's a very unique relationship where we're counting on him and him alone to forgive us and to control us. Jesus is not interested in being in a competition with the other loves of our life. That's what he's saying when he says, in comparison to the commitment you have to me, you would hate your family. Jesus is not interested in being one of many. Because see, this is really the problem. The problem is that when we try to make him one of many equal loves in our life. Be like if I went to my wife, Marsha, and I said, I've got good news and I've got bad news. She said, well, tell me the bad news first. And I would say to her, well, I've got three other wives. She says, well, what's the good news? And I said, I like you best. <laughs> Would not go over real well in my home. And you know what? It doesn't go very well in God's kingdom either. When we allow lesser gods to be on the same level as the relationship that we have with Christ, Jesus is not saying we can't love our family. He's just saying that our family can't be Lord. Jesus is not saying you can't enjoy your job He's saying it just can't be Lord. Jesus is not saying you cannot pursue your dreams and your aspirations. He's just saying those dreams and aspirations cannot be Lord. What Jesus is asking for here is no less than wholehearted, unique, and exclusive commitment. Years ago, I was in student ministry and 
from time to time I would go to another student ministry and I would uh, teach or I would preach and I was in a little town called Catula, Texas. Some of you know where that is. And I was doing a, a student-led uh, uh, revival. And during that time we would teach and at the end of the service we would come stand at the, the front and music would be played and, and young people who were ready to give their lives to Christ and follow him would come to the front and, and, and greet us and we would hand them off to a counselor and other young people would come who were recommitting their life to Christ. They were already followers but they had drifted away. And that particular night I was standing at the front and there was a young lady that came down the aisle and tears were streaming down her face. And I wondered as she approached me what decision she was making. If she was coming to Christ for the very first time or if she had been a follower for many years and had just wandered away. And she leaned over and she said, I'm thinking about becoming a Christian, but I have one question. I thought, well, you know, I'm, I'm brand new to ministry and I'm, I'm still taking my theological courses and I hope this is not a hard thing about the second coming or anything like that. Just keep it simple. Blood of Jesus, that kind of thing. And here was her question. Her question was, if I follow Christ, do I have to stop dancing? <laughs> and two thoughts came to my mind at the moment. First of all, I thought how silly it is, the legalistic rules that churches sometimes make up that keep people from Christ. But I also thought how silly is her commitment to Christ. Because she was trying to decide if she was going to follow someone who had laid his life down on the cross for her that had provided for her the opportunity to have all of her sins forgiven and live forever in heaven. But she wondered whether she would do it or not if she had to give up dancing. I thought for a moment, I said, you know what, I don't know what the Lord's going to ask you to do. The Lord may ask you to give up dancing. The Lord may ask you to eat only bananas for the rest of your life. He may ask you to wear the color green and no other color. I don't know what he's going to ask you to do, but I know this. If you can't trust him with that, then you're not ready to follow him. What is it or who is it that is more important to you than following Christ? That's what Jesus is saying. He says it in a nicer way in Matthew, the 10th chapter. In Matthew, the 10th chapter, verse 37, he says it like this. He says, he who loves father or mother... More than me is not worthy of me. And he who loves his son or his daughter more than me is not worthy of me. That goes down a little bit better, but it's the same radical statement. My middle uh, grandson, Austin, came to stay with us a couple days this last week, and he's into the Rubik's Cube. I thought they had burned all those. <laughs> but he was playing with it, and he got to a point one day where he, could, he got stuck, and he couldn't figure out what to do with it, and got very, very frustrated, and I, I never did it the first time it was, uh, came through, and I couldn't be of much help to him, but we agreed to sit down and to watch some YouTube videos about how to solve the cube, and so we were watching the video and pushing stop and then replaying and pushing it again and, and, and working our way slowly through the cube, and we were coming in the home stretch, and, and I learned something about this little puzzle, and that is sometimes something will be in the place that it's supposed to be. And in order to get everything else where it needs to be, that temporarily you have to take it out of the place that it's supposed to be and put it in another place so that everything can fall into place. And then and only then can you bring back that one piece into its place. And that's the strategy. And I thought about the message for this weekend. I thought about the fact that God asked us to put our family in what looks like a terrible place. 
but it's a temporary thing because if we put our family there so we could put Christ in the place that only Christ should occupy, that what happens is our family is able to come back to the place where they really ought to be. And here's what I know, that those who are willing to hate their family to follow the Lord, their family is more blessed than anyone else. And you'll do a better job of loving your family and leading your family and caring for your family. And you'll be closer to your family than those who put their family as Lord. Your family will make a really great family. They make a terrible God. And God loves you enough to ask you not to make your family God. Instead, let him be God. And your family will be the ones who benefit from that. Abraham wanted a son so bad he prayed for a son all of his life. God had promised him a son. And he was up in years and he thought surely he was not going to have that dream to be realized. But indeed, God gave him a son by the name of Isaac. God knew there would be a tendency in Abraham's heart for him to begin to love the gift more than the giver of the gift. One day he came to Abraham and he said, I want you to take your son, your only son, and take him to Mount Moriah, and I want you to sacrifice him as an act of worship to your God. What he said that day was a hard saying to Abraham. It was a saying that did not make sense, one that Abraham did not agree with. But one thing that Abraham knew is that everything he had came from God and that he owed his very breath to God and he would not withhold anything from his God. And you know the story. You know the story that he took his son up to Mount Moriah and he was about to sacrifice his son to the God that he owed everything to that had his full allegiance and God stopped him. And a lesson was learned that day that when we make God God, everything else falls into its proper place. And, that, and hear this today, because many of us are already followers of Christ. I, we need to hear this. This needs to be a take-home for us, is that the very things that keep people from ever following the Lord are also the things in our own life that will cause us to drift away from the Lord. And we need to hear that message over and over and over again. Who is in first place? Who is in that unique place in your life that no one else should reside other than God? What thing or what person has become more important than our allegiance to the Lord? That's a saying we need to hear today and a question that we need to answer on and on in the future. Let's pray together. Dear Heavenly Father, thank you for your word, even the hard parts. Even the parts, dear Father, that we like to skip over and not to deal with. Thank you, dear Father, that we can trust your love for us, that what you ask of us is always for our best. Help us, dear Father, to follow you and only you. In Jesus' name we pray all these things. Amen.